Amen. You may be seated and good morning. Y'all doing well? Bathrooms are open. So, hey, I, I just really need to give a shout out to uh, Clark and our team getting it ready to go. Jeremy Lovegrove. Who, I, I don't think the, uh, the, actually the mirrors went up until Friday. And of course, uh, so Tammy's gone. She's visiting our niece and her uh, uh she actually just had a baby, so she went up to Salt Lake to see her. So when I told her, hey, the bathrooms are open, of course, her big thing, right, this mind of a woman was, oh, did they get the furniture for the, for the women's? I don't, I don't know. Uh, it did not come in. So ladies, just want you to know, Tammy wants you to know, there's going to be a couple chairs in there and a little who knows what. I'm sure it'll be pretty because she bought it. So there you go. But uh, that, that's happening, right? And then it was really funny last night because people saw it and they go, oh, this beautiful tile. And then they were looking at our, uh, our slate green tile that we've had forever in the foyer. And they go, hmm. But no, that's all going to get changed. It's all going to happen just in time, in time. So we're excited about that. If I've not met you, my name's Steve. We're delighted that you're here. We are in the study of the book of Revelation. And so if you got your Bible, we're in Revelation chapter 13. But I wanted just to remind you of the title, The End of the Beginning. Because sometimes in the book of Revelation, especially in these very difficult passages, when there's so much death, destruction, it seems like the enemy is winning. Can I just remind you that this is just simply the end of the beginning? The beginning started with creation, but it's just the beginning of eternity, right? And when this comes to an end, we get into that eternal state. We get into Revelation 19, 20, 21, man. It is glorious what the future is. So don't let this get you down. Don't let it get discouraging. It's just simply bringing a close to the beginning of time. So if you weren't with us, so... The book of Revelation starts with uh, a seven-sealed book. There are actually seven judgments that are going to be poured out on the earth to prepare it for the Messiah. The seventh judgment is not one. It's another series of judgments called the seven trumpet judgments. When you get to the seventh trumpet judgment, it's not just one judgment. It is another series of seven more judgments called the bold judgments. We are kind of right there in the middle of that. So that seventh trumpet judgment, just about ready. But this is a parenthetical part of the book of Revelation where John and the Holy Spirit are giving us insight to other things that have gone on. And so one of the things that we, he started to remind us of back in chapter 12 is this historic conflict that has been played out since Satan fell way back at the beginning of time. And he, he gives us some of the players that have been a part of that. In chapter 12, there's actually four of them. The woman who represents Israel, right? God's chosen people through whom the Messiah is going to come. The second is the red dragon, represents Satan. The third is the child that is going to be born. It's Jesus, it's the Messiah. And really, the conflict all the time, even though it often looks between the dragon and the woman, is really between the dragon and the son, right? It's trying to stop the Messiah coming. The fourth one is 
Michael the archangel, who is the head, the leader of God's armies. And then when we get to chapter 13, we're introduced to two more players who are going to play a significant part in these very last days. The one that we looked at last week in the first 10 verses of chapter 13 is the Antichrist. He's really known best as the beast. We just call him 10 in our day and age to call him more the Antichrist. What we learned about him is going to come out of a Gentile nation. It's going to be a part of this revived Roman Empire, whatever that means. But that goes back to Daniel chapter 2, the 10 toes. Daniel chapter 7, the last beast that had the 10 horns. And how it's going to play out and actually what starts the tribulation is the beast the antichrist will sign a peace agreement with israel for seven years but in the middle of that he's going to break that agreement he's going to turn on them in fact if you remember back in chapter 12 uh they're going to have to flee so something significant happens at that middle part the other things that we saw about him is that it appears that the beast will either feign kind of assassination and resurrection or maybe it actually happens. He mentions it uh, a number of times. If you go back to verse 3, I saw one of the heads as if it had been slain and the fatal head or wound was healed. You're going to see it two more times in the passage that we're talking about. So this is a significant event. The Antichrist kingdom and power, though, is from Satan, and it is exactly, in fact, you, you see again what we looked at last week in verse 4, and they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. So the allegiance to the beast is literally allegiance to Satan. The Antichrist time is going to be very short, 42 months, three and a half years, where he is going to seek to reign and rule the whole earth, but it's going to be a very treacherous time. Starting in verse 11 through the end of the book, we're introduced to the second character who's going to come here at, at, at the last part. Uh, we call him the false prophet. So let's read the text, and then we're going to jump into it. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. He spoke, though, as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he will make fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which is given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small, the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to sell, except to buy or sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. 
Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for that number is that of a man, and his number is 666. 666. All right, let's, let's begin to talk about this. The false prophet. Now, maybe you notice in that passage, it does not give him that moniker, but it does later in Scripture. So in Revelation 16, again in Revelation chapter 12, again in Revelation chapter 21, it talks about the beast. It calls his sidekick, which is who this is, the false prophet. By false prophet, the, the idea here is is that he is going to, uh, first of all, be a religious leader and that he is going to point people to worship the beast. Now, a couple of things that we pick up here in verse 11. He says, it says that he had two horns like a lamb. So unlike the first beast that comes up out of the sea, this one comes up out of the earth. Now, the question is, what what significance does that have we looked i believe it was in chapter 17 where the sea is referencing kind of the gentile nation so we know the beast will be there so the question is will he be a jew the fact that he comes out up out of the earth it's certainly possible it also is possible because of the standpoint that he's the false prophet right so he's leading people away from the worship of messiah it also may just simply be we can't be definitive on this but it just may simply be that in ancient literature and thought the most vicious beasts were the ones that come up out of the sea why because you can't see them right they're the ones that you know the big tentacles that grab the ships and pull them under right at least the ones that are here in the land you can kind of see what you're fighting and so it could be that he he doesn't come across as being as diabolical in fact the the picture here is as a lamb right lamb's kind of sweet just two horns not big and ugly but oh by the way uh he spoke as a dragon the very words of satan coming out of his mouth so he's a the idea of a lamb again book of revelation that sacrificial system remember where the first time we saw a lamb is back in in chapter 5 uh, and it was Jesus right there's one standing there's a lamb that had been slain so again this idea he's a religious leader he is though pointing people and pushing people to worship Satan one of the things that we see too is that he deceives the whole earth because of the signs that he has so he is going to push people to worship the antichrist and he's going to do it through these great miracles. It mentions like calling fire down from heaven. So think in your mind, if you remember back in chapter 11, there were two witnesses that came to preach the gospel. Remember them? And they, we believe that that is in that first half of the tribulation. And they can do the miracles and the kind of the things that Moses and Elijah did. Well, now this guy is going to come and do it, but not for Messiah. He's going to do these same miracles and get people to then try to worship the Antichrist. So kind of think back to, remember when Moses and Aaron went in before Pharaoh? 
And they started doing the miracles, and it was like, you know, throw the staff down, it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh had his magicians come in, and what did they do? They threw down it. And then they turned the water to blood. Well, the magicians did that too. And so it seems like that's this idea that he's the false prophet. He is going to mimic the very same things that these two witnesses have done, who, by the way, were killed and now have, they're gone. And he's going to point people to worship Satan. I also think there's something else that's significant, right? Call fire down from heaven. So in the Bible, who is the most significant person to call fire down from heaven? Elijah. Elijah, thank you. Elijah, that's the great story in Mount Carmel. One of the things that we're told is that before Messiah comes, Elijah's going to come, prepare the way. Well, Jesus even addressed that when he was here because he says if you have faith you'd understand Elijah has come and it was John the Baptist but isn't it interesting that even in the end times just before Jesus returns here comes one in chapter 11 one of the two witnesses doing the very things that Elijah did well now the false messiah the antichrist has his Elijah and they're going to deceive the whole world cause people to worship the beast and what he's going to do is he's going to interest, institute this, this idea of the mark of the beast that you cannot buy or sell you cannot basically you can't live unless you get his mark uh, now one of the big things as you look through history the whole idea of what does the mark the 666 mean so you go back to you go back to uh, Greek letters had numeric values you latin letters had numeric values and so there have been people all over the place i gotta be honest with you i don't think until that day i think in that day it'll make perfect sense but without knowing who that is it's really hard to know but here's the piece that i want you to understand right so satan satan wants to be worshiped like god that, that goes back to this historic conflict and you think about how God works in, in that triune nature where you have the Father who wills, you have the Son who executes, you have the Holy Spirit who then empowers. What you really have here between the great dragon, Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, and the second beast, which is the false prophet, is what you really have is the unholy trinity. It, they're doing the bidding of Satan... The one executing it is the Antichrist and the one who is showing the great power to bring people to worship the beast is the Antichrist or is the false prophet. But I want to focus in on something. Verse 14 and 15. He deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So there's an event that we've talked about We've seen it in the book of, of uh, Daniel. In fact, we, looked, we read it last week. We've seen it in Matthew 24, Jesus references. It is called 
the abomination of desolation. Does that phrase ring a bell? Right? We, we saw it in Daniel 9. In fact, it's actually mentioned three times in the book of Daniel. Daniel 9, at the end times, uh, you see it again in Daniel chapter 11. You see it again in Daniel chapter 12. Then Jesus in Matthew 24, he's, if you remember, he's laying out, hey, there can be wars, rumors of wars, all that, that kind of went with those, six, those first six seals. And he said, but then when you see the abominations of desolations taking place, the question is, what is that? Because Daniel and Jesus tell us that this is a significant event in the middle of the tribulation. What is it? I think what it is is what we just read in Revelation. There's an image of the beast. So, go back. Daniel talks about in Daniel 9. In Daniel 11, Daniel gives some really detailed future history. In fact, it's one of the reasons why the book of Daniel uh, was claimed not to have been written by Daniel back in the 500 B.C. because it's so detailed, there's just no way he could have known until they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and then it dated it back to when it was, yeah. It, he, he spoke about it. In Daniel 11, he talks about what happens with Greece. So remember Alexander the Great came conquered the whole world what was he 30 33 conquered the whole world and he dies his four commanders divvied up his kingdom the one who went to and took over kind of that east uh that eastern part syria and all that was the seleucid empire and they then would start waging war with the other the southern king went down in egypt was theirs was seleucid empire there's a guy that came along uh, hundreds of years later, it was about, I think, like 173, I think it was what it is, 173 to about 165 B.C. There's a guy in the Seleucid Empire. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He had conquered Israel, so they were subservient to him. And he also went to war with Egypt. If I remember right, he actually had a victory over Egypt. Later on in the 160s, he went back to fight with Egypt, and he got his tail kicked. I mean, it was not pretty. When he left, I don't know if it's just kind of licking his wounds or what, as he was returning to Syria, he stopped in Jerusalem, right? He, this was his land. And he decided that he was going to he was going to proclaim that no god but a Greek god could be worshipped. Because obviously they're Greek. So they went to the temple, and what they did was in the temple in Jerusalem, they set up an idol to a Greek god. Then they went to the, to the altar. And if you remember at the temple, there's a big old altar where they would sacrifice the lambs and, and, and the bulls. And he offered on that altar a pig to the Greek god. Now, if you know anything about Judaism, you know pigs are unclean. It was the most humiliating 
thing he could have possibly done. Oh, by the way, they even added to it. So then there in the temple in Jerusalem that was built to worship Jehovah, they had orgies and all kinds of sexual in the worship of this Greek God. He desecrated the temple. In fact, you go on later and you get to the Maccabean period, you'll remember they had to cleanse the temple and there's a lot that happened with that. It, it ties back into this. So this was kind of a foreshadowing of the ultimate abomination of desolation that's going to take place at the end time. And what we believe is the future that, you know, so remember Jesus talked about in the future, you're gonna see this. In fact, in Matthew 24, he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel, right? So Daniel foresaw, foretold what was gonna happen with Antiochus Epiphanes, but Jesus, who's much further down the line, right? He's 33 AD. He says it's still coming, so that which is spoken of to Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. So we know what's going to happen. There's going to be a temple. In fact, it's interesting because there's no temple today. So if the Antichrist signs a covenant and, and promises peace, is it maybe in those first three and a half years that the temple gets built? Because today, quite honestly, if Israel went to build the temple on the Temple Mount, what's happening over there would, would, would now would, would not even compare, right? Because there would just be all-out war. The Arab world would attack them for many, many reasons. But at that three-and-a-half-year mark, what's going to happen, they're going to stop the sacrifices... And the Antichrist, through the false prophet, is going to set up this idol that is going to be able to speak and talk and move. In fact, some really interesting phraseology here in verse 15. And it says, it was given to him, speaking of the false prophet, to give breath to the image. Right? So it was given to him from who? Satan? Maybe. If you do a search of that phrase in the book of Revelation, though, when it was given to him, most often refers to God giving them the ability to do something. So is God giving the ability to, to give breath? Oh, by the way, give breath? The other place we see it in the book of Revelation is Revelation 11, 11. Remember those two witnesses that are killed and they lay on the streets of Israel, Jerusalem for three and a half days and then it says here, given breath. So does this thing literally become alive? I don't know. Is it robotic? I don't know. All I know is that there's an idol which all people are called to come and worship standing in the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem. One of the fun things, if you get to go to Israel with us sometime, we'll actually go to the, the Temple Museum, uh, the Temple Institute, actually, is what it's called, where they're already preparing, like, the ephods and the trumpets and all the things that will be used in that third temple. It's coming. It's coming. Now, I want to answer a question. And the question is, so what bearing, right? So 
you're sitting there going, well, Steve, this is, you know, interesting and it's looking ahead, but you don't even think we're going to be here, so why is this important? Why is it important? So when I was in high school, I've told you before, I, I did a lot of drama, not like personal relationship drama, but like acting, right? I, I, I like being on a stage. I know that comes as a sh shock to you. And one of the things that when you're in a play or you're doing a, a drama is there will be times where the lights go out and they, they set the stage. They set the stage for the next scene. They set the stage for the story moving ahead. And often when the lights come back up, you'll see some things have been moved and, and all because it, it, and it gives you a little foreshadowing of what's coming. And one of the things that I think why this is given to us is to, to be able to understand the times, to set the stage. As the stage is being set, to, to be able to go, hey, God is at work in the midst of all this craziness. God is, is setting the stage, so it gives us hope, and it causes us to lift our heads because our redemption draws nigh. Now, let me just start with this, though, that no one... And I mean no one, and can I say it one more time, no one knows when all this is going to get kicked out, right? Jesus could come back today. He could come back today. He could come back in 100 years. We don't know. What do we know? What we do know is that as we're looking at the stage being set for what we're told in the book of Revelation is going to happen Leading up to the return of the Messiah, we, we see it coming. But listen, if anyone starts telling you that they know, just write them off. They're an idiot. <laughs> they don't. Jesus said no one knows, right? We are just to live in anticipation. But let me tell you how I see the stage being set. And one of the things that to me is the most significant that so many I think Christians undersell is what happened in 1948 and that was the regathering of, of the people of Israel so obviously for you get to the revelation and for there to be a temple for there to be the woman that is going to be persecuted by the antichrist you've got to have a nation of Israel well what we often forget is that in 64 BC, 63, 64 BC, Rome conquered Israel. So Israel has not been a sovereign nation since 63 BC, 2,000 years. In 70 AD, so about 100 years later, Rome came and completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem, took the Jews that survived, spread them all across the world. Folk, you've got to understand this. No other nation in history ever has been defeated, driven from their homeland, scattered throughout the nations, and for 2,000 years, kept their national identity, 
and then return to the very land that they were driven from and become a nation again. It has never, ever, ever happened. And yet God said it would happen in Ezekiel 37 to Israel in preparation of the last days. And for most of us, just before our lifetime, it happened. And oh, by the way, when they came in, they still didn't possess the temple site. That didn't happen until 67 in the Six-Day War. But you see the stage being set. And Israel has become a sovereign nation again, just like what we read here in the book of Revelation, what Jesus said in Matthew 24. A second stage setting that I see is the explosive development in technology. So as a kid, I, I used to read this, and he causes, verse 16, uh, and he causes all the small, the great, the rich and the poor, and all the free and the slave to be given a mark on the right hand or on their forehead, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. And I can remember as a kid, I go, man, how can that be? I mean, because you, you know, we used to, remember, for those of us who are a little more mature, you remember, you know, just in your neighborhood, you had little, sometimes they were just kind of almost like garages that had, you know, little convenience stores. You go down and you buy. How could somebody control all that? And yet today, we don't have that question at all, do we? I mean, have you ever tried to go into a store and use your debit card when your bank has thought there's fraud and they killed that thing? I don't care what you do. You're not getting a grocery. It's there. Another interesting piece. You go back to verse 3. It says, In the whole earth, the last phrase of verse 3 is, The whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And I can remember back, it was 69. And we were sitting in front of our little black and white TV watching shots that if you're conspiracy theory then we're not going there right but supposedly came from the moon right and the whole nation watched with the tragic events that happened on October the 7th it wasn't a nation that watched it was a whole world that watched and they watched on their phones and they watched in living color as attacks were being played out We've watched what's gone on in Ukraine literally in the moment that it happens. The stage is being set. You think of the globalization of the world, and I want to be really careful here, folks, I'm not, a, you know, a lot of people say, was COVID just like this test run of, you know, no, no, no. COVID was not a test run, right? Nobody's smart There's enough to do that, right? There's, it's just... But was it a moment when the world collapsed for the first time to handle one major emergency and come together? You know, what's really interesting is with Brexit, what you saw was a group of nations coming together, sharing a currency and an economy, but keeping separate nations. It didn't work. What fixes that? One, one government. One government. Folks, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. What I do know, though, is that there's not one thing today 
that is holding back his return to get his bride out of here and begin the events that we see in the book of Revelation. And so we live that way. That's what we're called to do. We're called to live every day as though this is the day that Jesus could come back. Now, does that mean that we go necessarily and, and, and go sell our houses and everything, go out live in the middle of the desert? And the answer is no, right? God's put us where we are. In fact, I had somebody ask, well, hey, you know, if we're getting so close to the end times, how come you're building a building? Well, listen, folks, I'm still putting in, in, investing in retirement too. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I don't know. And so I prepare as though it could be today, but I'm also prepared that it may not be. And so I'm going to do the things he calls us to do. And guess what? If Jesus comes back, somebody can have my retirement. I don't care. And if Jesus chooses to come back and there's a building there for him to use, I don't care. Amen. But if he doesn't, we're doing everything we can to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to live on that mission. And if you're here or you're online and you've not come to faith in Jesus, that's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Come to faith in Christ.